before we get started, I wanted to do an interactive kind of question section, and I think this should be good because Exodus Student Ministries is here, and so students um, predominantly are good about answering questions. So this is interactive, um, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask a series of questions, and I want you to raise your hand if at the end of these series of questions, it's true. Who in here believes that they absolutely, 100%, wholeheartedly understand every single aspect and word in this book? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, good. We don't need to talk about, oh wait, maybe in the back we need to talk about God gives grace to the humble. And um, No, um, who here feels like they have it completely figured out what it means to follow Jesus? You know everything that goes along with it. You have no questions. You, you've got it understood. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, look around. Do you see any hands up? I, this is important. Everyone, like, do you see any, does anyone see any hands up? Like, it's interactive. Yes, no, no. Okay, good. No hands up. Just making sure because that's key to where we're going today. Another, another question for you. Who here, and you don't have to raise your hand, although I know, unfortunately, that I'd probably get a number of hands. Who here feels lonely? Right? You feel like you're, you're, you're going through life, and you can't shake the fact that you feel disconnected, like you're running in circles. You don't know which way is up. You don't know what you're doing. We're doing family dedications to here, and some, many people with their first kid I can guarantee their hands are like, I don't know what I'm doing. What's going on? This kid's going to kill me. How many of you would say that, though, like, despite the fact that you're in close proximity to a number of people, you feel completely disconnected? You feel like you are, you are on your own, running along at a pace that is unsustainable, and it's just a matter of time before the wheels come unraveling. How many of you at some point, let's ask this this way, at some point has, has felt that in their life? Raise your hand if you felt that at some point in your life. Okay, this is important. Look around. Keep those hands up. Look around. So is it, is it easy for me to say you're not alone? You're not alone? Like you're not the only one that's felt that? We're in the, we're, we've been working through the book of Matthew, and we're actually taking a little break out of it today because we're in family dedications. But instead of just talking about dedications, what I wanted to do is I wanted to turn our attention to a story, a text in Hebrews. It's Hebrews 12. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn to me. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers are coming up and they can hand one to you. Um, we'll be back in Matthew next week, but I, I just felt like it was, it's, it's worth every now and then just kind of pausing on something. And it would be really easy to spend all day, and, and families are here, they're ready to see their, their, their grandkids or their nephews or nieces or whatever to get to get dedicated, and, and that is a, a point of today, but that is not the point of today. And so what I wanted to do is I, I wanted to just take it, in light of the question that none of us have it figured out, in light of the response that, that all of us at some point have felt lonely, disconnected, or alone in this regards, I wanted to take our, our attention to Hebrews 12. And this is an interesting text, and, and the, the kind of the context of this, of this text, it's an amazing book. If you've not read the book of Hebrews, I highly, highly recommend this book, and what we're going to do is we're going to set in the middle of a, a, just a ridiculous section with so much theology and so much information that goes beforehand and comes afterwards that we're going to do little to no justice to this text in itself. And so I would highly recommend that you spend time in this. But in, in Hebrews 10, 36, he talks about this, this idea that there's this endurance, this race that you're running. And he, he, says, he says specifically, for you have need of endurance, so that when, you, when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then he goes into chapter 11, and if you know chapter 11, you spent any time around the Bible or any time in the church, you know that chapter 11 is the chapter of all the amazing, like, pillars of faith in the Old Testament. 
And he just goes down the list of look at this person, what this person did, and did you not see this, and did you not see this, and did you not see this? And he goes from one amazing character of the Bible after another. And he hits all these stories and says, look at their faith. And then he comes to where he is in chapter 12. And he comes right back to this whole endurance idea. And then goes out of that. So let's go ahead and pick up in in verse 1. Therefore, because of all these incredibly amazing people with faith that, that would make all of our faith feel really, really small. Therefore, because of them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this text has so many meanings. And in fact, there's, there's a number of things that I want to define in this before I even get to talking about the whole idea of us feeling alone. But there's a couple things that we can say out of this text for certain. Is first off is that life is a marathon. You know, I ran once, and I, and I don't like to run very much, and maybe some of you don't like to run. But, but he, he just depicts our life, our walk with God, as if it is a marathon. For those of you that don't know, a marathon is a lot of miles, and it's ridiculous, and it's a course that's set before you, usually. You don't get to just kind of pick it. You don't usually run in circles. I had this grand idea one time I was training for a marathon. This is when I used to run. You can tell I don't do that as much anymore. Um, and I had this grand idea where I didn't end up going to the, the marathon, and I decided, well, I'm gonna just going to run five miles back and forth from one person's house to my house so I can have water in between. That was horrific. It was the worst thing ever. At least on a marathon, you get a different scenery the whole way. But anyways, the, the point of a marathon is that it's, it's, this, it's this race in, in front of you. And if I go into a marathon going, I cannot wait to run my best 400 meters ever, I'm going to be thoroughly disappointed when I stop at 400 meters and everyone else continues to go on. And so, so he sets this idea that this life that we have, this race that we're running is, is a marathon. It's set before us that God has, has set this course, and so I can't go to a marathon, I can't go to a Boston Marathon and say, you know, I love what you guys did with the course, but I think I'm going to turn right here because this just makes a little bit more sense for me. No, you, you can't do that. The course is set before you, and so God has set the, the course before you. And that is difficult for some of us because when we think about God and his sovereignty and all the theological mess that comes with that, we struggle with the fact that he takes us through a swamp sometimes. Or the course is taking us through really, really deep waters. Or, or climbing that mountain is ridiculous and you can't seem to get the oxygen in your lungs as you get further and further up. But yet, he says, this, this course is set before us, just like it was set before Jesus. See, we see at the end of this text, he, he endured the cross because of what? Not because he's like, oh, this will be so fun, I can't wait to, to get crucified. No, because he knew what came after that. He went through the pain knowing what was coming after that. So it's a marathon, and we're to run it with endurance. And that, that in itself, that word endurance doesn't mean sitting patiently and hoping it happens. That endurance means skillfully trying to master it. So it means you're going to work at it, and there's going to be this life where you're going to try harder to, to, to do something better. You're going to train for it. You're going to, you're going to practice. You're going to, you're going to run, and you're going to in, in strengthen your lungs, and you're going to find the right shoes to run. But this idea of endurance is that, that it's a long race, and, and all of us recognize really quickly, those that have gone on longer than us, you recognize really quickly that, that life isn't as long as it feels. Right? You're like, man, I'm, I'm, I, didn't, I don't know where the last decade went or two, or three, or four. And you realize it's not that long, but it is at the same point a, a long life. 60, 70, 80 years is a long time. The book of James tells us that that's a vapor in the grand scheme of eternity. 
But either way, we are to set our shoes, our minds on the fact of I'm running a race that isn't a 400-meter sprint. Danny mentioned, and, and it's there, we, we see in, in Luke that Jesus tells us to count the cost, Luke 14. Count the cost. That means you've got to know what you're getting yourself into. So if you came to this idea of Jesus Christ is awesome and I hope he just saves me for my, my future someday when I go to heaven and you forget that there's an endurance needed and a race run in the place in between that and there, you, you didn't count the cost. So then he says, run this race with endurance. And then he gives us a couple reasons on how to run this race and some important things to run. And the first one he says is, lay down every weight. Or some of your texts may say encumbrances or, or whatever. Lay down this weight and sin, which so easily entangles or ensnares you. It's interesting that he uses two things there. That means that there are things in our life that we can have that aren't necessarily sin, but actually slow us down. It'd be like me going to um, the marathon dressed like this, being like, I'm ready to run. Let's do this. This is silly, like you're, you're wearing the wrong clothes to run. I mean, even if I had the right clothes, I probably wouldn't run that well, so it doesn't really matter. But, but the point is, is he's saying there are things in our life that we are to lay down, let go, take off, take off this backpack that aren't necessarily sin. They could be very good things, but they slow us down. And so I started thinking about everything in my life that could lay down. Like it, it's, it's good for me to want to provide for my family, but that's a very difficult line. At some point, provision can take place of the very thing that Danny mentioned earlier, like when God calls you to obedience, me going, you know, I want to do that, but ooh, I got to provide for my family, so nope. Maybe it's, it's, it's your children. You love your kids and you want to be a good parent to them, but you spend more time being a good parent to them than you ever spend recognizing what it means to be a child of God. And so there's these good things in our lives that he says that you need to lay down because you will not run with endurance with these things on you. You're lining up at, the, at the, the racing list with a backpack full of bricks going, I got this. I got this. In fact, in the, old, in the old Greek time in the racing, what they would do is they would put weights on themselves for training so that when it came to the race time, they would strip themselves of all the weight and everything else and they'd feel like they could run better. So it's this active process of laying down these things. I think that's so important because it's not, let me, let me say this very clearly, it's not that you need to lay these things down so that you can know who Jesus is. It's, it's knowing Jesus and coming to him in salvation is a surrender of everything, and that's it. It's, you don't do anything. You don't get this stuff in order and then do this. This is to those who have faith. He's saying, because we have these cloud of witnesses ahead of us, we have all these pillars of faith. Now run. Lay it down. And then he says, and sin, which entangles us, which ensnares us, which trips us up. And if I had another interactive question for you, and I ask show of hands of how many times you feel like your wheels are probably spinning and you could be honest with yourself and say, it's because at that same time my wheels are spinning, there is some sin that I will not confess. I will not let go of. And it's tripping you up. You can't, you can't seem to get rid of it. You, I, no, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter, but you are. Or unforgiveness or this relationship with this girl or this guy. Or you keep being so selfish or prideful Sin entangles us. We are not meant to run with it. And so it's so interesting that the, if you look at these pillars of faith that go before, go back and read chapter 11. All of those people failed miserably at following Jesus, or following God at one point or another. They were not sinless. But yet we call them the pillars of faith. They're the ones that we want to have faith like. But every single one of us has something in our life that, that Jesus is saying, let it go. 
And some of it's good stuff. And some of it is just flat out sin. And you've been claiming to follow Jesus, but walking around this whole time holding on to this thing as if it does not bother you. And essentially what you've done is you've tied rope around your, your, your ankles and you're trying to run tied up like this. And you think you've got it. You think you're doing a great job. And Jesus is like, no, I have so much more in mind for you. Lay it down. Lay it down. This, uh, this witness is, is, is interesting because there's two big things I wanted to pull from this text is a lot of people have, have defined that the witnesses are there before us, these, these cloud of witnesses, as if they're, they're in heaven kind of looking down and like cheering us on and going, I'm watching you and this is great. And they're like Moses up there going, you got this, Bren. You got this. And, and I mean, I guess you could kind of say that from this text, but we have no other text in the Bible to say that that is actually what's happening. I would assume that this, this word, it can be translated the other way, the other option, which is more of as a witness to what they've done. We have these people of what they've done and therefore we can see what they've done because it's the same thing with Jesus, what he did on the cross. We can look to what he did on the cross and how he defeated the cross and we can look to, to the faith of these people and that should encourage us to move on. But what I wanted to talk about specifically in this text is, is these witnesses. First off, it says you have a great cloud. Whenever you see cloud in, in biblically, it means a whole lot of them. A ton of them. And although it's nice to think that maybe they're up there cheering me on, going, you got this, Brent. I, I don't necessarily think that's the point, but I think what the point of this text is, is it goes back to the very question I asked you at the beginning. Are you alone? See, I think so many of you have started this race. You've, you've counted the cost. Okay, this is a marathon. I got this. You put the right shoes on. You got those things in place, and then you started running. And as you're running along, you come by the watering station. You're like, I don't need water. I got this on my own. I'm good to go. And you're running as if no one else is there. And you're running as if you're the first person that's ever run a marathon ever. And you know everything there is to know about a marathon. And no one has anything to speak into it. And that's, I think that's what the cloud of witnesses are. They're these people that have come before us not perfectly. They've displayed faith through immense adversity. And we can look to them and be encouraged by that. But see, the benefit that you and I have today is we have a cloud of witnesses, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Not just in the New Testament, but with each other today. See, and I think that's where we get mixed up. And to use Exodus student ministry, right now you have Danny and the leaders, the volunteer leaders that are, that, are, that are pouring themselves out into you as students saying, we're going we're gonna to run with you. And they're going, you got this. I'm with you. I'm with you. Come on, let's go. Let's go. And I think we think we're running alone. And we think we have it under control. And I know how this works for all of us because, look, some of you right now, your life is falling apart and you're, you're white-knuckling it going, I got this, I got this, I got this. And the whole while, there's the roads are just, the whole, tra have you ever seen a big marathon? There's not really a dead spot where people aren't spectating and watching and cheering on and offering water and offering help. There's not really a spot like that. But the one spot, the one spot that you can see the most people gather is at the end. It's at the end of that race where there's just, you can't even see the line because people are cheering every single person that goes by. 
Remember when I went up to Coeur d'Alene and, and watched the Iron Man and, and watched people run that, and it was, they had a specific amount of time that they had to finish, otherwise they didn't, they didn't finish it or whatever. And it was like midnight that night. And I remember going down to the line, because I was a volunteer there, going down the line and waiting at midnight and watching these people like, just be at like, like you know, 20 yards away, and it's like the clock's ticking. We're like, come on, you can finish it. Come on. And everyone's rooting them on. The Apostle Paul lines up our faith as if it is a race. We hear at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. So there's something to be about this life of us running a race. And I just want to say real quickly, because there's a child crying in here, it's a dedication day. Parents, you're doing an awesome job. Cry away, baby. We welcome you here. Okay? If you're sitting around those parents, like, tell them you love them and they're great parents, okay? Because that's what we're dedicating, those little ones today. And so if you're bothered by it, um, go outside. Okay. <clears throat> um, And the second part of this text that's interesting is first is, okay, we're not running alone. You're not on your own. Stop thinking you're on you. I asked you at the beginning, who has this book figured out and knows every single thing about it? No one raised their hand. So it's a pretty good chance that someone sitting next to you might have an understanding of a text that you don't understand. And the best thing we could do is instead of isolating ourselves from those people around is to come around each other and say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling here. Help. But that requires us to, to lower our pride and to enter into humility. And the second part of this that I think is so, so key. Actually, before I do that, there's a, um, I think that we forget that, that all of us are running a race. And I've shared this analogy before in this story with um, dedications before. It's the, the women's 4 by 100 If you heard the story, bear with me. If you haven't, you'll enjoy it, hopefully. Um, in the 2000 World um, Olympics, not World Cup, that's what's going on right now. Uh, in the 2000 Olympics, uh, the women's national 4x100 relay team, each individual runner had the best 100 time in the world, like the best. And so they were, the four of them together, and so they were pitted like to win by, by a landslide. And as they ran, they, the first time in 2000 they were running, they, um, they had a really sloppy exchange of the baton. They couldn't get it to the next person very well, and they ended up taking third place. And so there's just heartbreak and disappointment. This was like one of U.S.'s like golds that we could kind of stamp, like that's a gold we'll have as we want to get more golds in other countries or whatever. And then the 2004, not necessarily the same runners, but, but similar, but all four runners, all in the women's relay, four by 100, off the charts, top of the run, like they were number one, two, three, and four in the world in the 100 by themselves. They should be good to go. They should win it. Well, what happened is one of the, one of the runners was fatigued from the long jump the day before. And they couldn't get the exchange in time, the exchange zone. And so they were disqualified and didn't finish. So then go to 2008. All four women again. Everything's in place. Everything's going on the way it should go on. And they, they get to the exchange. And these people, again, they should have won. Everyone knows. Like, and at this point, they're going, well, they should have won in 04 And they should have won in 2000. But this is the year. And everything's in place. And they <laughs> drop the baton. Disqualified again. And so they didn't finish the race. 2012. Same thing, all over again. And this time they're not saying, well, they should win. It's like, well, if they can figure out the exchange. Like every one of us that don't run are like, what's wrong with you people, you know? <laughs> like I can hand this to someone else. What's, how hard is that? <laughs> and they run and they, and they do it and they get every exchange perfect and they break a 20-year record, world record in the race. And the only difference was on paper they were always the best individually. On paper they had everything done together. They were, they were perfect in, on paper the only difference was they finally figured out how to work together. They finally figured out how to exchange, how to pass that on. 
And see, and I think the problem is a lot of us are really, really concerned about how fast we run our marathon. And we forget that we're running with other people. We forget that at some point, we're going to have to pass this off to the next generation or the next person that's our same age that is behind us in faith or someone that is older than us but has no faith. Don't think just age. We're going to have to pass this on. And at the same point, someone's getting ready to pass on to us. And if we just stand there and go, come on, hurry up, give it to me. I'm entitled. I deserve this. We're not ready for the exchange. So you're not running alone. You're not alone. There are people on the track right now, running right next to you. Look, we're doing dedications today. We made the joke. There are like 17 new babies in this church. We're not doing that many today, don't worry, in the last four months. That means that there are at least 17 households that are going through the very similar thing at the exact same time. Very similar. And that means that there are a bunch of you that aren't, and you're going, man, I'm so glad I don't have to do that baby stage anymore. Whew. But that means that those of you that have kids that are in high school or out, that means that you have something to offer all of us new parents. Help us stay sane in the middle of this. You're not alone. You're not running this alone. In fact, you know what? Just humor me. Repeat after me. I am not alone. Okay. Sounded a little cultish. I love it. But either way, the point is, is this. This is what I'm getting at. You even said it and some of you didn't believe it. You even said it and some of you didn't believe it because you're going to go home tonight and you're going to be like, I don't know what to do. My wife and I were fighting so much or I can't handle the kid keeps crying. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm lost, but we're too prideful to ask, to help, ask for help. God broke me again of this this week. I have no reason to cry. I blame Danny. Um, <clears throat> this last week, Jen was hospitalized on Tuesday. We had our baby two weeks ago. She was hospitalized because of a severe infection and some blood clotting issues. And it, it ended up being okay. At first, they were like, you know, doctors, they're awesome. They're like, it's going to be, you know, the worst thing ever. And watch out. She's dying. And then about 12 hours later, it's like, okay, everything's okay. <laughs> but she had this incredibly horrible infection. Well, what happens is, is for Priscilla, our youngest, our, our two-week-old, to stay with Jen, we had to have another adult with her at 100% of the time. In case something happened to Jen, someone had to be responsible for the baby. Well, then we have our two older ones, which if you know them, they're, well, they're older and, and energy-full and on attack. And so I had to spend this entire week trying to figure out how to move one kid from the next and do the work and to, and to do this. But you know what's beautiful about this is, is three weeks ago, Tab, Tab Wheeler set up a meal plan for us when we had a kid, and we still have meals, surprisingly. So meals were, were through this week and into next week. And so I didn't have to make dinner, which if you know me, that's a really good thing because I don't make dinner very well. Um, and we had people, like Marissa happened to be in town, and she's like, I have nothing to do. Let me stay at the hospital. And our nurse practitioner happens to be a believer, and she's like, let me stay tonight. And so what ended up happening is this beautiful picture of, of God giving grace to the humble, where we couldn't do it on our own. We had no way, and I don't, it's not worth crying over. So say something sad or funny or something, because <laughs> there's no reason to cry. Like, everything's good. <laughs> but it was the most beautiful picture of me recognizing that, that I'm not alone, and that there are so many people that care and love and, and meet and and bring food, and between family and friends, it just kind of, it happened. And it was chaotic, yes, and it was crazy, but I felt so cared for and so loved. And, and you know why? Because when, um, when, when Jen started feeling poorly, she called someone. And she could easily said, you know, I've had two other kids before. I've had mastitis, whatever. I know what I'm doing. And she called someone. She called, actually called Marissa. And Marissa's like, you should go in. 
wouldn't have gone in. She had 103.4 temperature. Like, it was ridiculous, like, dangerous high. And we wouldn't have gone in had we not just picked up the phone. And then um, a couple families, the Hicksons and the Simmons, they're like, hey, let us take your kids. And I could easily, no, no, I got this. We're good to go. Like, everything's cool. I'm, I can handle this. I said, no, you know what? Yeah, that'd be great. And so what ended up happening is my children got to not be babysat, but spend time with other people that love Jesus and love, love their parents and get, get experience a whole other form of the gospel. Why? Because I believed and submitted to the fact that I'm not alone. And so many of us are running this alone. We think that we've got it. Your, your, your kids are out of school and you're like, I'm in col- they're in college, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the only parent that's losing my kids. You're not alone. Some of you are like, I can't handle this. The kid doesn't sleep. You're not alone. You're just too prideful to ask for help. You're just too prideful to realize that there are people that are going with you going, I, I'm right here. I'm right here. Like, I got this. Let me help you. And then the second part of this text that's so beautiful that I think is, is even bigger than this first part that you're not alone is that the whole point of running this race is to fix our eyes on one thing. And you know what that one thing is? Jesus Christ, who isn't only just the founder of your faith, meaning he, he began that, he's the perfecter of it. He's not just going to say, okay, come, come to me so I can save you for, for some heaven someday. He's like, no, no, I'm going to perfect everything that is in you to make you more and more like me. And he says in here, he tells us to fix our eyes. The main way to run this race, to run this life, isn't, isn't to, to get stuck by looking around, oh, what do I do, what's going on? It's to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. The very person that, that mirrored and, and lived and, and showed exactly our example of what it means for us to live a life humbly connected to other people. See, and I can't help but think there's a lot of you that are holding this baton right now and you're 18, you're 20, you're single at 30 or, or 20 or you're single at 40 or, or you're married or you're young married or you're about to get married or you're, you just got kids. Like, to pick your life stage, every one of them is probably present here. And you're going, if I can just do this, I'll be good to go. And you're thinking all for yourself, like on paper, I want to look this good at my job. I want to do this with my kids. I want to do this. And you have all these lines of what you're going to do. When all along, the whole point of our life is to do what? To make disciples. I mean, that, that means that you have got to be pouring into someone else. No one is free from that. If you follow Christ and you've been following Christ for three days, there's someone that isn't following Christ yet that needs to be discipled. I don't care if they're 20 years older than you. The point is that all of us are to be doing this. And Andy Stanley said it this way once. He said, it's not our job to fill someone else's cup. It's just our job to empty ours. So I don't need to fill, I don't need to fill your cup. I just need to empty what is of me and say, hey, this is all I got. Now go to someone else to fill the rest of that. But the point is you're not running alone. You're to, run, you're to fix your eyes on the prize, Jesus Christ. First Peter talks about the suffering that's in place. And he says, don't lose sight of Christ. In fact, Hebrews right here goes on to tell us that, that, that Jesus despised the shame. How do you despise the shame? Not by running from it, by going through it, knowing that on the flip side of what was coming was so much greater than what he was experiencing. And that's the same promise for you and me. This race you're running right now. Maybe you're in the swamp, you're in the deep waters, you're on the mountain. Look, wherever you are, the course is set before you. God is with you. Fix your eyes on Christ and you're not alone. You are not the exception. That is such a prideful thing to think. I'm the only one that's ever had two kids and one in the hospital. 
That's silly. I'm the only one that's in this situation where my marriage is falling apart. No, no, you're not. In fact, if we had a show of hands, it'd probably be disconcerting how many marriages are falling apart in here. And the sad thing is, is that you believe the lie that because you're alone, no one will be able to help you. When all the while you have people standing around you in your community going, I'm here. Like, what do you need? I was overwhelmed. That's why we didn't post anything about being in the hospital because I was overwhelmed with how much love we received with just the baby being born. It's like if I had said something about being in the hospital, like, I wouldn't have been able to keep my phone off my ear. That's a good problem. That's a good thing. And that's not because, oh, I'm so amazing and look at me. No, it's, that's every single one of us have that. We're just too afraid to be vulnerable to allow it to happen. We're too prideful to get out of our own way. Let me tell you real quickly where this will fall apart for you. If you're running this race, you're like, you realize, okay, I need to have someone pass me the baton. And so you start looking behind you going, someone, come on, come on, someone pour into me, someone pour into me. And we instantly forget that, that even at the same time that someone's supposed to be pouring into us, we're supposed to be pouring out. So if you're waiting to get to this perfect spot of faith before you start pouring into someone or start sharing with someone else, you will never, never take part in someone else's life. And the other part where this is going to fall apart is, is, is for some reason we have so many expectations. I want someone to pour into me and I want them to have this life experience and I want them to be in this position and I want them to have done these things and then they'll, I know that they know more than me, I know that they've experienced more than this, so therefore I'm going to let them speak into me and only them. And all the while God's like, I've got this person right here that's going to teach you something immense about my grace or about humility or about my word and you're too arrogant you have too many expectations in place that you only want it to come out of this package. That's a lie too. So are you running this race alone? Um, although some of you probably feel that way. And although some, like there are some expecta- exceptions, like you're new to the area, you know no one. But hey, look at you're around a room full of a bunch of other people and only about 30 of them are leaving. So the rest of you guys are like, are good to go. You're not meant to do this alone. Fix your eyes on the founder and the perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. Stop being prideful and trying to do it on your own. There's there's no reason. Students, if you can hear anything from me, don't ever know it all. Don't. Like just come out of high school, into college, going, I don't know anything. Help. The sooner you can realize that, the better off you are because there's a bunch of people that are over 40 going, man, I wish I would have heard that when I was 18 years old. I wish I would have listened to that when I was 18 years old. We are meant to do life together. And that the, the hardest part about this is that, is that people are annoying, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. People are annoying and, they're, and, and, and our life, like, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to pour yourself out to someone and they're going to they're gonna abandon you and you're going to feel like, oh, that's it. It's just not worth pouring myself out. Why? Because I believe the enemy is pushing so hard at keeping us isolated in our problems, keeping our life circumstances so busy that we just can't be connected to anyone else. And you are in the prime spot to be waylaid by life in this race. You're running alone with no water, with the wrong shoes, in the wrong area, headed down a, a, a steep, steep road that's it's 100 degrees out and your feet are going to get blistered. And you've got no one around you because you've been running so long thinking you're alone, you've stopped paying attention to those that are around you. We are meant to run this life together. Which, which 
brings us to the family dedications. The, the point of a dedication is essentially parents, we do that here because par- it's essentially parents saying, I, you know, I'm pledging, they're pledging their children to raise them in the way they should go biblically. They're saying, I as a parent desire that this child, I, I present this child is not mine. God is allowing me to be the parent to them and therefore I'm placing them before him and saying, God, he, they are yours. He is yours. She is yours. And begging and pleading the church to come alongside and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to bring you meals. I'm going to help babysit. I'm going to come along and, and, and pat you on the back when you say you just you can't handle it anymore. And, and this is, that's what dedication is. Dedication is I'm not going to do this alone. It's par- we ask parents to love and lead and you all to support. We don't want these kids to believe by default or just to adopt their parents' faith. We want them to instill in them their own authentic faith. And to do that, for my girls to know who Jesus is, they can't just rely on me and Jen. It is our primary role. That's our command. It's a command of us, but I, I'm begging and pleading. And I know that's what I love about the fact that when my two olders were with, with the Higgsons and the Simmons, like I know that they're being discipled and loved in a totally different way than I could. And what my girls are experiencing are more men and women that love Jesus. And that's what we need. We need them together. And we get dedication. There's, there's three avenues to it. It's, it's, it's control and command and community. And we get this idea of dedication from, from the story of, of, of Samuel in 1 Samuel where Hannah is pleading God for a child. And she says, if you just give me a, a kid, I will then present this kid to the church and it will be for, for their purpose. And he, she actually leaves uh, Samuel at the temple and, and he, he's raised there and she visits him once a year. We're not asking that. I don't want any of your kids, just so you guys know, okay? But it's out of 1 Samuel. You can read through it. It's this beautiful story where she comes every year to, to bring him new clothes and, and to see him. But he's, he's literally there for God's purpose, and we say, this is, this is it because these children are going to have, we want them to have their own faith. And so it's just us as parents going, I don't know what I'm doing on my own, but I know that this child is a gift from God, and therefore I'm going to give her, her or him back to God. So the first avenue is giving up control. It's giving up control of our children. It's the most difficult thing. It's so hard to trust Jesus with something you love so much. And this is essentially saying, I'm going to give my kids, my daughters or, my, or your sons or whatever it may be, you're going to give them, you're going to give them to God. And it's, he's asking, will you trust me with your children? Will you trust me with your children when I ask of them something really, really hard? Mike shared a couple weeks ago about adventure and his daughter heading to Indonesia. Like that's a, that's a really hard question. Okay, God, I trust you with my daughter headed to a really hostile spot. Will you trust him when he, when he calls them? When he pushes them, what if he pushes them in a direction you're uncomfortable with? Will you trust him? So, so dedication, the first level, is giving up control. Uh, Jen Hatmaker, in talking about children, said, Genuine trust in Jesus is revealed by what we are willing to trust him with. What we are prepared to give up for him and to him. The greater the treasure offered, the truer the faith. And of all that God has given us to steward, the hardest to release back fully to him is our children. More than our money, our possessions, or our gifts. It's a demonstration of the highest level of trust. See, Jesus has a mission for our children outside of our control. And, and all I want to do is I want to pass this, this baton on to my kids and I want, them to tell, I want to tell them, like, look, you're not alone and I want you to fix your eyes on the founder and the perfect of your faith. He already promises us that he will not, not finish a work he started in you. So I'm going to trust this and here you go. The most important thing I can do in life isn't make my life look good on paper. It's, it's how much I pass on to those behind me. It's a command. We see it in um, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, 
Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, and then Deuteronomy 6, 5, 7, we see, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. This is, the, this is the verses right here. This is what they taught their kids over and over and over again. It was written on scrolls. It was on the doorposts of their homes. This is it, that they should love God. So it's a command that we do this. And it's a community. It takes a village to raise a church uh, or to raise a child. It takes a really interesting village to help me raise three daughters. So um, please help. Um, community helps us to uphold the heavy responsibility of parenting and to share it with others. I would have sank this last week if I didn't have the people in my life. It would have been like, where'd Bren go? Who knows? You know, I've never seen him for a while. It would have been over. We're to love each other like Jesus loves, then it makes sense to band together during young parenthood because like Jesus does, we'll end up loving people when they're crazy, burned out, hysterical, and exhausted. Um, we won't let a member of our tribe fall. So community is this. So these kids that are coming up, they're your kids. That means if you have time, you say, hey, I want to babysit your kids so you guys can go have a date. So that as parents, you don't forget what it means to be husband and wife first. That means if you've had kids for a while, you say, you know what, look, I know what's crazy with those toddler years, like it's out of control and it's exhausting, so I got a little bit of older kids. Let me, let me bring them over here and let's hang out with them. It means, hey, you know what, as crazy it is, this young parenting is really difficult. I was just there. Let me, let me help you with this. Let me tell you about some of the things I learned in this. It's banding together, community. Love is the glue that binds us together. If you're too busy to love each other like this, then you're just too busy. If you find yourself running this day, this race, alone, you're carrying a baton of, of some kind of faith that really no one really wants, let's be honest. If you're running with nothing and no one to give to, nothing there, then like, what, what are you doing? And so, the, so what we're going to do is we're going to invite the, the families that are dedicating this service up here and, and Mike, one of our elders as well, to come up. We're going to pray for these kids and, and I want you to, to do something. If this is your home, if this is your church home, you're just like, this is it, I want you to pray for these kids continually past a day. So if you're dedicating your kids to this service, come on up. And if you are Mike Gordon, come on up. <laughs> um, but if, I, want you guys, I want you guys to be praying for these families. I want you to, um, when you see them later on and their kids are crying in service, I want you to tell them they're doing a great job and they're not crazy. And when, um, yeah, well, I mean, maybe that's true. They're all kind of crazy. And I want you to, to figure out ways that you can serve um, these, Mike right there. <clears throat> figure out ways you can serve these families. And not just like, hey, how's it going? Like you guys have served like in meals. And I'm assuming everyone else had meals at some point or two. Um, actually, the Heathers right there, I'm going to do a shameless plug. Their basement's full of a whole lot of baby and kids clothes. So if you're looking, girls clothes. Girls clothes, really, because there's a lot of girls around here. Um, but um, if you need clothes, that's somewhere to get clothes as well. Um, but, but we do this because it's valuable, it's important. That these, these lives are, are precious and beautiful and, and important to us. And therefore, it's our desire to, to pray over them and, and these parents' desire to, to do this as a community. So if you're out there going, oh, babies are so annoying. Like, you got, you know what, like, I'm going to make you babysit mine for a couple weeks then, you know, just to seal the deal. But like, if you're out there and you're like, I don't have any connection to these people, then introduce yourself. If you're, I don't know what to do with kids, well, you know what, parents need dates. You know, they need food. They need laundry done. Like, this is, those are all things. There are so many easy, tangible ways for us to be the kingdom of God with new parents. And so I invite you guys to this process. And so what we're going to do is Mike is one of our elders. He's going he's to pray for these kids. But first, he's, we're just going to kind of pass the microphone down and give each 
or one of the parents a chance to just say quickly why they're dedicating and the names of the dedication. So. Okay, um, I'm Danny, and this is my wife Kristen, and this is our little boy Emery, and uh, we are dedicating uh, him today um, really as a uh, point for us to remember that we need to dedicate him every day, mm-hmm. um, that we need to, ah, <laughs> that, that we need to just remember to continue to do that and submit ourselves and our parenting and our son to. Emery has something to say. <laughs> Uh, my name is Tyler, this is my wife Nicole, and uh, this is River. And I think for us, um, my biggest prayer in dedicating him is that uh, that we would just remember to remove ourselves and get out of the way of God's plan for him as he grows up. That's good. Hi, I'm Mike, and this is my wife Jessica and our son Alistair. And we're dedicating him today just to, uh, just to declare public declaration that we're going to bring him up in the Lord knowing the Lord and serving the Lord and that that's the most important thing we can do and you know kind of like Danny said as a reminder every day that 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 is our most important job in this life is to bring him up knowing the Lord yeah hi I'm Josh and this is my wife Lindsay and this is our daughter Juliet and we're dedicating her today just so that um, we always remember that teaching her to love the Lord is first in our lives as parents first duty in our lives as parents and that we need our help of our community to do that. Come on up your mic. Hey, let's join our hearts in prayer together. Father, this morning we're excited for these couples and these families, and we rejoice with them in the gift of these little ones that you have given them. We thank you for the blessing of life. We thank you for their health, and we pray for continued health for these little, these little ones. And we pray also that that they would grow up and that they would grow up and they would grow up in um, understanding and experiencing life in, in a really special way with their moms and dads and others that love them. But more importantly than even their health is that we would pray that you would work in their hearts and that you would bring them to a place in their very young lives where they understand the truth about Jesus and their hearts and their minds love him, and they believe in him and trust in him as their Savior. Our prayer for them is that they would never know a day when they do not know about and love Jesus. And that would, that would cause them to live their lives, even in their childhood and through their adolescence, in a different way. Because your spirit would live in them powerfully. And that you would do good things in them because you love them and you have called them according to your purpose. And I know that these things that I just asked for these children are the very desire of their moms and dads as they stand here. And that's why they dedicate them to you this morning. But Father, I want to pray for the moms and dads here that stand up here. Because these little ones will be the very means by which you use to stretch them and cause them um, to have to grow and respond in the very character of Christ. And so we would pray for the families that through the good and the bad and the ugly and the blessing and all the things that will come their way in the years ahead, that you, because you love them so much, 
would demonstrate grace and mercy and love, that they would, that they would together as a family demonstrate grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and patience and long-suffering and all those things that come from your spirit that demonstrate that we belong to you and that would demonstrate that these little ones, as they grow, belong to you. So, Father, we pray, too, for ourselves because we're part of this church. And our responsibility is not just to pray for them this morning and say, good luck, hope things work out. But even as Brent has encouraged us this day, that we are to be the ones that, that in a sense, come along with these families and join with them and ask you to help us, help them be the means by which uh, this church pushes their children on to love Jesus with all their hearts. So, Father, we, um, we thank you again for this opportunity to pray for them. We thank you again for the opportunity to watch these little ones grow up. And we thank you now in advance for the things that you will do. And uh, we look forward to the time when we, when we watch these little ones stand before us as a congregation and verbally commit their love to Jesus. And, um, and we'll rejoice with their moms and dads in all these things. Because you are so good to us. We thank you, as always, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.